Good morning from WKYT News and welcome to Kentucky Newsmakers. I'm Bill Bryant. Later, a look at the homeless problem in Lexington that was highlighted this week by the cold weather. Polly Ruddick will be talking about the city's efforts to get people into better circumstances. That's later. But first, Congressman Andy Barr is here. The Republican was reelected to represent Central Kentucky in November and now finds himself moved from the majority to the minority in the House. The Barr has also moved into higher profile roles. He is now a member of the Veterans Affairs Committee and he's on the investigative arm of the Financial Services Committee. After the 35-day partial government shutdown, the State of the Union address is set for this coming week. What does the congressman have to say about the ongoing standoff over a border wall with Mexico? And how will the Republican who got a campaign boost from President Trump operate going forward under House Speaker Nancy Pelosi? So we'll put those questions and more to Congressman Barr and thanks for coming. We appreciate it. Good to be with you. So the country has emerged from this 35-day uh, uh, partial government standoff. We look at the possibility of another one at uh, mid-month. Uh, you had federal workers going to uh, soup kitchens and begging debt collectors to give them extra time. Uh, Speaker Pelosi says no money for a wall. President Trump says no wall, no deal. Where are we? Well, the shutdown was very senseless and unfortunate. The longest uh, go government shutdown in, um, in modern American history. Uh, uh, we, we just received some of the economic data this morning uh, for the month of January, uh, and the private sector really shrugged off, it looks like. The private sector shrugged off uh, the shutdown. Um, jobs were, uh, 304,000 jobs were added, an additional 3.2% uh, increase in, in wage growth, but that's in the private sector. Uh, this shutdown uh, was senseless. It did uh, create hardship for uh, many of the patriotic uh, federal employees who, our Department of Homeland Security employees, the very employees who are charged with the responsibility of securing our border, with protecting our airports, the TSA agents, the air traffic controllers, uh, and for them, uh, there was hardship. And um, surely the shutdown, uh, as the data rolls in, uh, it will have a drag on our economy. Um, but overall, we were, we were pleasantly surprised with the positive uh, numbers that came in uh, this morning uh, for the month of January. Congressman, you say senseless. On whose part? Well, the House of Representatives in December, uh, when Republicans were still in the majority, we passed uh, a bill to fully fund the remainder of the government. And maybe one of the reasons why this shutdown didn't have as big of a negative impact on the economy as, as one might expect is because it was a partial shutdown. 74%, 75% of the government uh, had already been funded, fully funded through the end of the fiscal year. So we were only talking about 25, 24% of the government uh, that was shut down for those 35 days. Um, that's not to say that that, that wasn't a, a problem. It was a problem, and it was a particularly a problem uh, as I traveled into the Lexington Airport and visited with our TSA um, agents who did their job, were required to work, mandated to work to keep uh, our traveling public safe. Um, and so during the course of the shutdown, uh, I co-sponsored a bill called uh, the No Work Without Pay Act so that for those essential federal employees uh, who had to work, even not getting paid, that they would get paid in that shutdown. And I hope that uh, at some point the Speaker of the House will bring that bill to uh, the House floor so that we can uh, prevent that hardship from happening ever again. Is there a way to break this impasse uh, when we're down to wall or no wall and Republicans control the Senate and Democrats now control the House? Yeah, so back to December, we passed a bill that fully funded the remainder of the government. There was not 60 votes uh, to overcome that filibuster in the Senate, 
and because the Senate was incapable of passing that bill, that's when the government shut down, and that shutdown lasted for 35 days. When you have a disagreement like this, uh, and the disagreement was over border barriers, uh, what we were trying to, to say to our colleagues was, you got to compromise. And we didn't see any offer of compromise from the Speaker of the House. We did see uh, major offers of compromise from the administration, looking at the DACA situation, offering um, to uh, modify the original proposal, include some l permanent legal certainty for the DACA population in exchange for border security. But at the bottom line, Bill, we do need robust, improved border security. We have a crisis at the southern border of the United States, and the career professionals at the Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection Agency, they are telling members of Congress we do need additional border barriers, border walls, uh, 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 and, and additional uh, personnel and technology as well. If the president goes at this a different way and does not get legislative approval, will you be supportive of the federal money being spent? Well, I, I would be, in general, skeptical of of executive branch appropriations without congressional authority. Uh, the power of the purse belongs in Article I in the Congress. It doesn't belong with the executive branch. However, I'm, I, I'd be willing to listen to the, the lawyers in the administration. What they've told us so far is that um, there's existing appropriations that have been uh, appropriated for military construction projects, and there is some statutory authority that they believe would allow them to repurpose those funds in support of our national security at the southern border. I don't think that would be the best way. I don't like the precedent that that sets. I'd be open-minded to the legal arguments that the administration would make. But at the end of the day, we need a compromise. We need a legislative compromise. And what I've told the members of the conference committee, uh, my colleagues who are on the conference committee who are supposed to be hammering out uh, this compromise, that at very minimum, uh, we should uh, complete the funding of the 2006 Secure Fence Act, which Barack Obama supported, which Hillary Clinton supported, which Joe Biden supported. And 60 Democrats in the Congress today are saying we, in fact, do need and we support additional border barriers. Why is this the case? Well, because we do have a crisis at the southern border. Last year, 17,000 individuals with prior criminal convictions were stopped trying to illegally cross our southern border. The recent caravan that approached our southern border and attempted to breach our southern border contained 600 confirmed criminal migrants. Uh, that's from the Department of Homeland Security. We've seen a huge jump, a 93% increase in the amount of fentanyl the, the deadly synthetic uh, opioid uh, that was stopped at, at the border, and 90% of the heroin that comes across uh, our southern border is, is coming from Mexico. So we do need additional border barriers, technology, and personnel to stop the flow of illegal drugs, illegal uh, 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 criminals, and gangs. There's been testimony on the other side, and, and some experts say that uh, much of the illegal entry, though, is through uh, ports of entry, that uh, rather than somewhere along uh, th that long border. Well, of course, um, and that just goes to show that border security works. We're actually interdicting a lot of the fentanyl and the heroin and the illegal drugs and the criminals at the ports of entry where we, in fact, do have uh, border walls and where we do have robust um, uh, border security. It's 
between the ports of entry that we don't have full view of the illegal uh, border crossings. And so we do need that. Now, we know that where border, border walls work, where we've had border barriers, we've seen a precipitous decline in illegal border crossings and better interdiction. Congressman, you went to Washington uh, six years ago as a part of the Republican majority when you were elected in 2012. And for the first time in your tenure, you're now in the minority. Uh, what is the atmosphere like operating now as the loyal opposition to the Democrats led by House Speaker Pelosi? Well, it's very different. Uh, and the uh, emphasis and the agenda is going to be very different as well. Uh, I think um, the Congress needs to be focused uh, in the coming um, two years on making sure that we exercise oversight to implement some of the reforms that we made. We, I'd like to see us continue the work uh, on uh, the economic policies that have produced this robust economic growth. Uh, I received a call yesterday from the Fed Chairman uh, Jay Powell who said that the U.S. economy is in a very good place. That's as a result of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act deregulation uh, that is being put into place and I would hate to see us reverse that um, while the global economy is slowing down, uh, while there remains some uncertainty over trade policy uh, and other uh, issues, uh, I'd hate to see us reverse some of the po economic policies that have produced uh, this positive jobs report. Um, so <clears throat> we're going to be the loyal opposition where we need to be, uh, and then we're going to look for common ground as well. And I think uh, even in the minority, we can do some very positive things. Uh, advocating for our veterans on the Veterans Affairs Committee is uh, a bipartisan enterprise uh, uh, for the most part. And then I also believe that uh, we can do some purposeful things in the minority exercising oversight over the executive branch agencies to make sure that they implement some of the reforms that we enacted in the last Congress. So you have gotten uh, sort of a couple of uh, promotions uh, <clears throat> here lately. Uh, again, move into minority status, but then uh, yourself, you're moving onto these uh, more influential positions. I don't know if that evens out, uh, but uh, you're on the Veterans Affairs Committee and you'll have a key role on the financial oversight uh, of the Financial Oversight Committee where you're involved in enforcement now, right? Right. So, uh, first of all, the Veterans Affairs Committee is a brand new appointment to a new full committee. Right. Um, very much looking forward to it. This week, uh, I met with the ranking Republican leader of that committee, Dr. Phil Rowe, who is himself a veteran and a physician. Uh, and he has uh, agreed to appoint me to the Health Subcommittee. So, in that role, I will be overseeing the implementation of the landmark VA reform bill that we passed in the last Congress, the VA Mission Act which is going to provide greater access to uh, community care, non-VA private uh, health care for our veterans, uh, especially when they cannot easily access uh, VA medical care. Um, so that's a big role. I also want to continue to pursue the work that we've started on behalf of the Veterans Coalition that we started here in the 6th District uh, to combat suicide, uh, to look at mental, improving the mental health care through the VA. We've got a crisis in this country. Over 20 veterans are committing suicide each and every day. One of the uh, small but meaningful reforms that we were able to put into place in the last Congress, and I want to build on this work, <clears throat> is the Adaptive uh, Sports uh, Grant Program. Um, which uh, will provide additional funding for equine-assisted therapy. 
uh, to help veterans who are struggling, struggling with post-traumatic stress. On this Financial Services Oversight Committee, one of your areas that you'll be overseeing is HUD, and uh, Polly Ruddick will be here in a little bit to talk about uh, some of the housing needs uh, in Lexington uh, right now. Uh, can you help them with that? Absolutely. Um, you know, we will have oversight. I'll, I'll be the ranking Republican, the top Republican on that subcommittee. Our job is to have oversight over all of the financial regulatory agencies, including uh, the Federal Reserve, the Department of Treasury, and the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Uh, we want to weigh in on behalf of uh, our constituents to combat homelessness. Uh, we want to continue the work w that we started uh, working with HUD and other agencies uh, to promote transitional housing for addiction recovery as well. We're here with Congressman Andy Barr on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Hope you'll stay with us. We'll have a, another segment with him and Polly Ruddick is here from the city of Lexington as they're trying to address homelessness. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We're visiting with Congressman Andy Barr, the Republican who represents Kentucky's 6th District this morning. Uh, if the uh, House Democrats, who again control the House at this point, uh, move forward with their investigations and potentially with uh, impeachment proceedings against President Trump, uh, where will that leave you now as a ranking member of a committee where uh, a lot of documents may, may be subpoenaed through? There could be a lot of investigative work done by. Right. Um, the the chairwoman of my full committee, uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters from California, she has uh, signaled her interest in a robust investigation of the Trump administration. And I've told her, and I've been very clear um, uh, upon my appointment to this uh, important new assignment, uh, that congressional oversight over the executive branch is vital. It's very, very important, and I'm very supportive of that, regardless of party, regardless of who is in the White House. Now, I hope that most of our oversight is going to be targeted towards making sure that the financial regulators are implementing the reforms that we passed in the last Congress. We were a very productive uh, committee in the last Congress, passing 47 bills that became law, including the most sweeping and significant financial regulatory reform bill passed in a generation. But she'll be setting the agenda on that committee, right? Right. And so to the extent that she wants to go down the road of investigating this administration, uh, trying to get financial records of the Trump organization, for example, um, uh, she's, she can set that agenda. What, what I believe my job is to do is to make sure that our oversight is driven by the law, by the facts and legitimate legislative purposes. Congressional oversight is not unlimited. It, it, it needs to be focused on legitimate legislative purposes. And I just hope we don't get bogged down in political witch hunts or fishing expeditions. Uh, we need to be focused on, will this serve a legitimate legislative purpose? If you were to be uh, confronted with evidence that, uh, that led you to have uh, concerns, uh, could you be pulled over to the side of, uh, of uh, potentially considering uh, impeachment? Look, I mean, we, we're, we're going to be open-minded and let the facts lead uh, where they will go, obviously. And um, I want to be part of the oversight. You know, what I, uh, I passed an amendment, um, even in the minority, in our organizational meeting the other day, uh, that would require the majority to provide a copy of the subpoena 48 hours in advance of issuing that subpoena. Why do I think that's important? Not because of uh, any opposition to the oversight, but instead because I think our oversight will um, engender greater confidence among the public if it's bipartisan. Uh, if we are working collaboratively, every member of this committee 
um, should be a participant in oversight. Not just the majority, not just the Democrats, but the, the Republicans on the committee as well. Um, if we do it in a bipartisan way, driven by legitimate legislative purposes, driven by the facts and the law, uh, then the public will have greater confidence that it's not just a partisan witch hunt and it's not going to de devolve into partisanship. You'll be there for the State of the Union address, which has been delayed, but will be this coming week uh, in, in front of the, uh, the House chamber uh, that was finally worked out. Uh, what do you anticipate in that, and is this uh, another time of a likely confrontation between the Democrats and Republicans, which is what Americans are seeing and, frankly, keep saying they're, they're tired of? Right. Well, it, this is a tradition that's uh, gone on since 1913, and the American people deserve to hear from their presidents. Uh, the State of the Union is uh, something that's embedded in our Constitution. It's part of our great political tradition, and we have a lot of big issues. And the American people and their representatives in Congress, including many of the new uh, members who have signaled their opposition to this administration, they deserve to hear uh, from their president to make the case for border security. They deserve to hear about this robust economy that... Uh, the policies of this administration and the last Congress put into place. Uh, they deserve to hear about the opportunities for bipartisanship on a big infrastructure deal over the next two years. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to working with my new uh, Democrat majority colleagues uh, to try to find common ground and where we disagree uh, be the loyal opposition. We appreciate you coming, Congressman. Good to be with Thank you. Thank you very much. And coming back on WKYT uh, Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment, Polly Ruddick, who runs Lexington's Office of Homeless Prevention and Outreach. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers from WKYT News. The recent snap of bitterly cold weather once again illuminated the challenges of homelessness in Lexington. The city and important civic groups responded to get people off the streets during the most extremely cold weather. There's also just been a new homeless count in Lexington. Those numbers still being tallied. And joining me now is Polly Ruddick, who runs Lexington's Office of Homeless Outreach and Prevention. And thanks for coming. We appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me. This was a deep Arctic blast that came through and that made the temperatures just uh, unbearable yep. on the streets. Uh, how did the community respond? So every year um, for the last four years in November, all the stakeholders, emergency shelters, Lextran, community providers, get together and come up with an emergency winter weather plan. We've done it every year, it's on our website. And that allows us the ability for emergency shelters to expand their capacity, to have everyone come in. And that, that activates at 32 degrees. This was a little different because it was so cold. So even with our shelters expanding capacity, we came up with a little bit more um, additional city funding for even more emergency, uh, hotels and motels or what we call unconventional shelter to make sure we had enough options in the city for everyone. Do you think there was a record number of people sheltered last week? There was. We do know just looking at the preliminary numbers, it was our highest shelter numbers we've seen in Lexington. You said you had some who would come and say they were okay and they wouldn't, didn't need a room and then they would come back later. Yeah, so Wednesday night was, uh, this past Wednesday night was our annual point in time count. And we let our volunteers know if they located anyone, they were to call in. We can send out the Hope Center Street Outreach Team, um, the Community Paramedicine Unit, 
um, other providers to follow back up and make sure that they could get to shelter. So initially we did about 16 different interviews with folks and they said, no, we're, we're okay. And so, okay, we'll check on you. So we had different teams go out kind of continuously throughout the night. And even at one o'clock in the morning, we had teams out and found people were finally like, oh, I think I'm I think, I've got, I think that hotel sounds really good. I'm, yeah. We're going to come on in. Uh, you have uh, completed that homeless account, but the numbers <coughs> are preliminary at this point. But mm -hmm. what, what do the trends seem to be? I think we are going to see a rise this year in overall homelessness. So last year we found 685 people homeless on any given night. It's kind of what we've used. Um, we're going to see a little bit an increase in those numbers just because we did have a record number sheltered. Um, we're still, like I said, you just mentioned, we're still going through making sure we're not duplicating anybody, but yeah, we, we're looking at a little bit of an increase. Polly, what are the, the factors that combine to uh, cause Lexington to have such a challenge with homelessness? It's a, it's a good question. Um, there's a lot of factors. So we look at migration patterns sometimes and people coming into Lexington to receive services. We are a service, we're very wealthy and resources and services. So we look at that. Um, I think Lexington has done an excellent job of addressing the homeless issue since about 2013. They really set a plan and implemented a strategic plan to reduce homelessness here in Lexington and work to end homelessness here in Lexington. We continue that that strategic plan. We continue our mission of ending homelessness or making it rare, brief, and non-reoccurring. Um, we're always going to have crisis. We're always going to need some type of emergency shelter, um, but we work to to really make it rare and brief and non-reoccurring. One thing that uh, always grabs our attention, the fact that there are homeless children out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, sometimes it's a marginal condition where they're couch surfing uh, among relatives or friends and that kind of thing. But how profound is that uh, as an issue? So in our total homeless population, um, I, well, let me say this. There is a difference between what the Department of Education classifies as homeless and urban and um, housing and urban development, mm -hmm. which is the definition we're under. So for us, when we talk about homeless children in our system, we're talking about those living on the street or an emergency shelter or transitional housing. We do not really um, use numbers for doubled up or if you're living with your grandparents or if you're couch surfing, we don't include those. You'll hear the Department of Education right. include those. So for us, we average about 500 children under the age of 18 that come in our system on an annual basis. Um, so for Wednesday night, um, we'll look at those numbers, see how many children. We don't have any children living on our streets in Lexington. Um, we have two separate programs that make sure we don't have any children living on our streets here in Lexington. Um, we have two emergency shelters that take families and non-traditional families. Um, so as a, when you look at the whole population, for us, it may be a very small number. It's an important number, but it is a very small number. It can be quite a dark subject and a very, mm -hmm. very cold subject when we speak of the, of the weather, certainly. But there are bright spots, and you have noted that uh, the veterans' homelessness issue uh, is really being effectively addressed in the community. Yeah, we're real excited. So last March, um, we have a uh, Every Veteran's House Committee 
that is run um, in partnership with the VA and Volunteers of America here in town that have our veterans. And we know every veteran here in town. And right now, if you are a veteran that becomes homeless and, and you do want housing, we can rehouse you in about 24 to 28 days. Um, we don't have any unsheltered veterans right now. Um, we have resources and and the housing, the new housing that's being built on the VA property is going to be a huge help to this. And we're very excited that we have made veterans homeless brief, rare, and non-reoccurring here in Lexington. Is there a way to get at those who are nearly homeless? I mean, people mm -hmm. who are living marginally, just a, you know, just a, a minor problem away or, or a missed paycheck away uh, from that situation. Is that something that you uh, try in your office to address or at least uh, uh, look at? So un unfortunately, um, we do not have enough resources right now to really get at that population. That population that's one crisis away, one rent payment. With the government shutdown, it became very obvious to us how many people are just one rent payment away. We had started to get those phone calls into my office um, for those federal workers. Um, it's a conversation that has come up. It's something that we're working on a strategic plan to address. We're doing some research on this subject as far as different prevention and diversion programs. Um, Louisville is also looking at this issue and how eviction courts and how that plays a role in people becoming homeless or on the verge or missing one rent payment. Um, so we're definitely researching it, looking at evidence-based practices. Um, hopefully we will have something in place in the next coming years. but. Right now, that's that's kind of where we're at in the process. Interesting uh, situation in Lexington that you have the, the the you know the very upscale homes that that are around and the and the the farmland and the and, mm -hmm. and a lot of wealthy individuals and then those who are uh, in this situation of nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. uh, and is it your job uh, going forward to just uh, remind people of that? So what we've kind of talked about um, is going back to that education piece. I'm glad you brought that up. So this year, one of my strategic plans, one of my goals is to really work on educating the community about the ways to end homelessness and the investment and the community investment and in making that happen. It's very possible here in Lexington. We are an incredibly compassionate city. We give millions of dollars to nonprofits to manage homeless every day. Um, so working to really make it the community investment into ending homeless not just management so that is kind of my goal for this year is to really get that message out there and let people kind of understand and educate and have the knowledge and um, that there there is a solution to homelessness. Are you encouraged uh, coming through even a, a tough situation like last week with mm -hmm. the, the very cold weather and the city's response are you encouraged that this uh, problem can get uh, attention and better going forward? Yes. There's amazing stakeholders at the table. I just, I brag on them all the time. I am the luckiest person to get to work with the partners that I do in the community. Um, they're so engaged and they're so committed to making this work and they're great advocates. I mean, we took teams from four different organizations and partnered them together and we saved lives during this cold. We visited people every 20 minutes. I mean, that's to watch that in action, that's a blessing. And I think if we can keep going with that and the excitement of that and really, you know, gear it towards ending homelessness, we can make it happen. Thanks for coming. Appreciate You're very, it very welcome. Much. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. We hope you make it a good week ahead.